KRCO, Salt Lake City. This is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Rashawn Leak. Welcome to the show. It is a Women's History Month, and we are going to get some stories you might not be familiar with with guests tonight. Alice Birch of Seema Hadithi, Rachel Quist of SLC History, and she's got a walking tour coming up that you'll want to check out. Oh, yeah. Then we're going to hear from some of the plaintiffs in a lawsuit announced last week that challenges the the congressional voting districts recently approved by the Utah legislature. Joining me, Catherine Weller from the League of Women Voters of Utah, Laura Lewis. A-E. I was asking her that before we got started. Is that A-E? A-E? Mormon woman for ethical government, David Raymond. Ryman. David Ryman. Ryman like Nashville. There we go. Attorney for the plaintiffs. But let's get started with rallies and resources. Joining me is our own Laura Jones, radioactive executive producer. So I was updating some stuff. If you go to krcl.org, click on community affairs, you're going to find all the stuff related to community affairs, radioactive. What else do we have under there? Our old COVID diary series. Oh, yeah, that that was still uh, up there. I almost said that was so much fun. And it was. It's fun in a different way, though. Like, COVID obviously is very serious. It's not fun. We should go back and listen to those and invite everybody back in and see how they're doing. Because we're still in a pandemic. I mean, rumor has it. Rumor has it that it's still going on. And headed for a surge of a new variant. So, folks, do what you got to do. Stay healthy. There's also a Go Vote tab, which is really important. Because we're heading into an election cycle, and that's part of what we're going to talk about later this hour, There's some poetry. But under that, you're going to find rallies and resources. And tomorrow, as part of the Bastion Diversity Lecture Series at Westminster, they are hosting a woman. What is her name? It's Jessie, Jessie Daniels. She's author of Nice White Ladies and the Truth About White Supremacy. So it's going to be an interesting topic. It's at Westminster, 630. It's, it doesn't cost you anything. You can just go to... Uh, Westminster, and it is in the Jewett Center for the Performing Arts. I'd love to come off 17th South and park in the parking thing there, and you can walk right in. So check that out. Um, Save the date. 2022 Multicultural Youth Leadership Day is March 22nd and 31st, an event for 10th, 11th, and 12th grade students and educators. On the 26th, and we mentioned this with eBay, Ogden's Untamed Women Walking Tour. There we tour. go. That's the one right there, Laura. 10.30 a.m. at Ogden's Municipal Gardens. You can go check out this link, and you'll get all the te- details. It's put on by the Weber County Heritage Foundation in Better Days 2020. I I think Samadithi may have been consulting on this with them, too. But you're going to find out a bunch of interesting things on this walking tour. You can walk in the footsteps of some of Ogden's amazing untamed women, from notorious brothel madams and murdering masterminds to suffragettes that, and the angel of 25th Street. Women's History Month, folks! I, that, <laughs> that arguably might be one of my favorite little blurbs about what's going on in rallies and resources. Oh my gosh. The March 31st is Trans Day, Transgender Day of Visibility, and there is a trans march being organized by Project Rainbow. And a week from tonight... We're going to have a bunch of the organizers on and do a roundtable Tuesday panel discussion and amplify some voices. So Pass the mic, y'all. That. You know how we do. Yeah. You got anything you want to share before I go into a clip I got? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I can share, but they'll hear me share it a while. Uh, they'll hear me share because it's not till uh, April. But go ahead. Friday, April 22nd. You know what that is. That's Earth Day, Jordan <laughs> River Trail. And canoe cleanup. I mean, this is fun. It, it, I think it's a it's it's a really fun activity because we are spoiled. We're spoiled here because we have the Jordan River that goes what arguably from southern Utah, so like all the way up to Ogden. You yeah. know, it's sixty something miles of un, yeah. of trail that we can just take advantage of. It's it's so it's it's not a big ask for us to go out and and help out and keep our trails clean. There's two sign-up periods that day. Plus, they need all kinds of volunteers. If you can help shuttle people from where they put in to clean up and where they get out at the end of right. it, that would be a big help, folks. So go and check or it out. Or just get in a canoe and <laughs> just go down the Jordan River, picking yeah. stuff up as you see. Oh, do you want to remind folks, Friday, April 1st, Utah Black Chamber presents an evening in Harlem. 
So uh, that's one of their major fundraisers, and we'll get them on too. Before Harlem that. Renaissance. It's a fun time. It's yeah. a fun time. I've been a couple times. Yeah. All right, so Women's History Month is going on. I wanted to focus on Utah women's history. And Better Days 2020 right. was the original name of the group. Now they're Better Days. Still plugging ahead. And we've got some conversations we want to share this hour on women's history with some of our guests. But first, I wanted to find out what they're up to at Better Days. And we started with the quarters. This is Katherine Kitterman, their executive director at the nonprofit Better Days. Yeah, we're really excited about this. There are going to be 20 new quarters total. Um, and uh, the Mint took input along with the National Women's History Museum on who should be featured. So the first two that are out so far, uh, well, the first that one is actually out is Maya Angelou, the, the poet and social activist and writer. So that's exciting. Um, Sally Wright is coming up later this year, as well as Wilma Mankiller, um, a suffragist from New Mexico named Nina Otero Warren, and Anna Mae Wong, a Chinese American actress. So early diverse set of women, and it's cool to see them featured on money. Any Utah women going to make a quarter? Uh, we hope. They've only announced the first five out of 20, and they did take the nominations, so we, we sent in a lot of names. So we'll find out with the rest of everyone else. So teachers looking for curricula that they could share with their students on an age-appropriate level, I'm guessing you have some solutions there. We do. We have a lot of resources at utahwomenshistory.org, always a lot of bios, activities, um, lesson plans that are geared towards the state standards for both English and language arts, as well as social studies. Uh, but this year, we've rolled out something exciting uh, to coincide with Martha Hughes Cannon's statue going to Washington, D.C. And we can talk about that later, but Martha was the first woman elected to a state senate anywhere in the U.S., and she started a lot of programs that still shape our state today, like the State Board of Health, which is now the health department. So we have lesson plans and a digital toolkit available for teachers that's totally free. There are lots of podcasts, videos, even an opera, a short opera filmed by Utah Opera about Martha that you can play for your class. We've got discussion questions, printable activities, um, basically anything you would want to do in a classroom or an activity. We've got it there and it's all free. You can find that on utahwomenshistory.org. You also have a traveling exhibit making the rounds. Is there a way to book that for my town, my organization, my block? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so we have a sign-up sheet or sign-up form for that exhibit, and it's just a pop-up that will come up if you go to our website. So again, utahwomenshistory.org for everything there. And it's going across the state. It's at BYU later this week. It's at Draper City right now. Um, we'll be in Blanding. We'll be in Brigham City. We're hoping to get Martha, her mini statue, her two-foot-tall statue, to every county in the state. And again, these digital toolkits or having the traveling exhibit stop by doesn't cost folks anything. They just need to get it booked and they need to get it. That's bored. right. Okay. And then yeah, we'll make it happen. Cycle back to Martha. And when is she going to, you know, make the trek? <laughs> so we're really hopeful she'll get to Washington, D.C. this year. It's looking good. Um, they've gotten some final approvals they were waiting on from folks in the U.S. Capitol. And now we're waiting to see when the Capitol will open up for events again. So um, we've been told by the Statue Oversight Committee that we should expect something maybe late summer at the earliest or into the fall, but we are really excited for this. Martha's currently sitting in the state capitol. So if you want to see that statue that will go to DC, you can take a look in our state capitol. And then something that I didn't know, and I just wanted to pop this into people's brains really quick, is local county stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got pages. So if you go to our Explore the History page on utahwomenshistory.org, we've pulled together stories from every Utah county um, mostly related to suffrage, so women who petitioned for equal rights in our state constitution or who led suffrage organizations or ran for office in those early years of statehood. And you can see the stories of about 120 women um, on that. We're always adding. So if you know of someone you think we should feature from your county, we'd love to hear about that as well. And we were so busy talking, we forgot to turn the mics back on. <laughs> Chat, Rashawn. That was Catherine Kitterman of Better Days 2020. Check tonight's show notes for a link. We were went down a rabbit hole well, without our listeners. Well, you know what it is. I'm I'm always I'm always I don't want to say shocked because I don't I don't feel like that's the right word. But I I love our rich history of that we have with women in Utah mm -hmm. and. And we need to bring it back. We need yeah. to, you know, and I know there's a lot of trailblazers and we have two sitting right to my right going. But I, I really want to see, I really want to see us get back to those days. Because hearing about, you know, in Utah, we have the first female senator. That's that's amazing. Yeah, first woman to vote in an election. Yeah, that's right. Seraph Young. 
I believe. Okay, I'm getting the heads up from Rachel Quist, who is our guest yeah. in this next Spot segment. On, then. Salt Lake City History. If you're not following her feed, you can check the night show notes and get a link for all the obs- well obscure because it's just not talked about yeah, all the exactly. time. But it's definitely there, just waiting for you to discover it, folks. And so, Rachel, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. We also have with us, uh, we have Alice Birch from Sema Hadithi, as well as UOGS. It's been a while since you've been in here. Thanks so much for finding us in our new location. All right, so Rashawn, where do you want to dig in? I I want to start. Let Let's start with Alice. And so, what is Sima Hadi Hadithi? Sima Hadithi, and it is Sima Hadithi African American Heritage and Culture Foundation. Um, my husband Robert Birch founded that two years ago um, because he felt that Utah needed a Black Historical um, Association in Utah. We had been with Utah Afro-American, his, um, hold on, it's been a while. Genealogical and historical. Have you yes. guys left that one behind no, and focused on he's still Hadithi? He's still president, yeah. but there were things that we wanted to do historically yeah. mm-hmm. that with that we were not able to do okay. because it's tied to a national organization. Gotcha. And so he wanted to, um, to you know, go out there and, and really dig into history. And so he established this foundation, and its purpose is to um, uh, to collect, uh, preserve, um, and teach um, black the Black history of Utah, and specifically the Black history of Utah. We will share like a little bit of the U.S. history, but not really. We we focus here. Excellent. And you have these different committees, and that's what we're going to talk about specifically today. Uh, is the importance of preserving black women history. Mm-hmm. And there's different ways you're going about it. Can you kind of describe where we are in the process with this, with the committee? Um, there are a lot of working groups. Uh, Rachel Quest is on the, um, the women working group. Um, she's one of the volunteer researchers. And can I just say, I love our researchers. We're just so thankful for them. I mean, talk about volunteering. They do all this work literally for free and to, um, to help to uncover and get out there the black history of Utah. Um, so we have a conclave working group that's just starting up. We have a Rachel, help me. We have a, <laughs> I love it. Because I don't know this part. I only know what I do. Right. I'm, I'm director of special events. And I do, I hit up the oral history team. And what are the other groups? Well, there's the Equal Justice Initiative. Oh, yeah, thank you. To oh, Robert's going to be so mad at me. <laughs> well, we're going to unpack a lot of this. Cause, and, and so let's, yeah, let's bring you into the conversation, Rachel. So, so researcher, I mean, you know, you, you do research for your own work, and now you're also partnering with this. So what does that look like? Where, where do you start when you're, when, is there like a, like, when you're going in to get ready to uncover something, what, what's the mindset behind it? Well, I'm usually researching a completely different topic. Mm-hmm. And I'll be looking at old newspapers, and it's the full page of a newspaper. And so I'll catch a little article or a headline that catches my eye. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? And it's, it's a complete story that no one's ever heard of. Like, for example... In 1893, two black ladies, Ruth Shelby and Jenny Drake, sued for um, equal access to the Salt Lake Hot Springs. They were not allowed in because they were black, even to a private bath, for example. Um, They were disallowed. So those two sued in 1893 for a public accommodations. Well, and those, the hot springs we're talking over at Warm Springs Park, aren't we? Those are the ones I'm thinking of. Is it, where was it? This was a building um, that piped in water from from Warm Springs. Yeah, so Warm Springs over there, 800 North and 300 West-ish that they're trying to rehabilitate and there's a history to that building. Right, it's not that particular building. That one was built in the 20s. But uh, there was a building downtown that had been, uh, originally it was a livery, a stable, Mm. but then it had been reconfigured into this public springs, or this public bath. And there were several of those around Salt Lake at the time uh, that had piped in 
the Warm Springs from Warm Springs Park mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, these two ladies sued because there was a license required by the city in order to pipe in the water, and they felt that they had a, a, a fairly good case under that public licensing aspect that they could gain equal access, similar to how the railroads operated, that it was a public benefit that all people had the privilege of using. Unfortunately, they they failed. Um, and I looked into the history of the judge. The judge didn't seem to be a factor. He voted for, he was a Republican who voted for Lincoln. Um, but it, there just wasn't the infrastructure of the law to allow something like that in a private business. What's, what's the value, Alice, in um, not only cataloging, preserving these stories, I'm, I'm thinking when I look at timelines and how much I can then see progress is made, mm-hmm. what progress hasn't been made, is that what you're <laughs> hoping is the, be- the public benefit to these projects of, of chronicling black history? Actually, that isn't. That's a great side benefit, mm-hmm. but the main reason why we want to do it is to help the people in Utah to understand that black Americans were here long before Utah was ever settled and named the state of Utah. Mm. Black Americans were here because there were mountain men who were here in these mountains who were black. And a lot of people don't realize that. And so we, we've had so many encounters with people who say there's no black history in Utah, you know? And the first black person arrived, you know, after the Mormons came. Well, none of that is true because, number one, um, the first free black person arrived long before the Mormons ever came, right? Even though there was a free black person who came in as part of the Mormon um, migration westward, and that was Jane Elizabeth Manning James. And she gave birth to um, the first free black child ever born in the territory. But there were black people here long before, long before the Mormons ever came. So uh, so I have to ask, because this is, one, it's fascinating. Is is there any any thought of maybe getting this into schools as a curriculum? Because I feel like this is a benefit that yeah. that not many people are aware of. I mean, you know, saying that People didn't know that there were, you know, how far how far we go back to this state mm-hmm. is huge and it's eye opening. I love that. How far we go back. I love that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yes, Robert is actually working on on that, and that is one of the the projects that's being worked on. Yeah, it's moving fast. Good, as well it should. <laughs> well, and we were just talking with Better Days, Catherine Kitterman, and all the curricula they've created for women's history specifically. And I understand that, Sam Hadithi, you're working on a mural project with Better Days related to the story and the life and the contributions of Mignon Barker, Richmond Park. Is that where it's going to be? Is that It uh, is. The mural project will be installed there, and it'll be four panels. And each panel is of a historic Utah black American woman. And I'm so excited for that. I, I love partnering with Better Days. We've done a couple of other things before. And um, I think out of, I, we did the Capitol event and the, all the children, and that was wonderful. I had so much fun playing games with them and teaching them mm-hmm. about black history through games. But this one is, um, it just, it, yeah. it grabs my heart because it's history, it's black women, it's it's heritage, you know. So I don't want to say just yet who the women are. I, okay, yeah, I like, yeah no spoiler alert. So, yeah. <laughs> we, we, sorry, sorry, listeners. We're going to say that off off air. Yeah, it's not for your ears. But it's going to be done in June, it looks like, right? It is going to be done in June, and it's going to be part of the Juneteenth events. Yes. We're working on getting our date. You know, Juneteenth in Utah, we start on the 1st of June, and we go to the 30th of June. We have events all month long, and this is going to be one of them. Well, let's hear some of these stories that you're prepared to share with us tonight. Who wants to go first? Should I talk about Elnora? Oh, talk about Elnora. (laughs) I I wish you could see the smiles that are in this room right now, y'all. Okay, Rachel, what you got? Yeah, Elnora is one of my favorite people. In, uh, in Utah's history. 
And there is a wonderful photograph of her that miraculously made it into state history's archive. Um, It was found by an archivist who worked for the state of Utah in in the 1980s, and he bought it from some shop somewhere and then donated it to Helen Papanicholas, who did uh, People of Utah. It never made it into her book, though. and it just had her name on the back of the photograph. And her name is, is uh, Elnora Dudley. And in this photograph, she's sitting on a throne with a crown of pearls and a very fancy white lace dress. And when I saw that photograph in State History's archives, this is something important. Like, you need to know. Nobody dresses up like this during the normal every day. I'm I'm looking at the photo, y'all, and and so let me let me give you. I, I want I want the listeners just close your eyes and let me paint this picture for you real quick. So she, I I would say arguably this looks like something you would see from Queen Elizabeth from years, a young Queen Elizabeth, it, like draped over. She's got it. I mean, it looks. I would say in our day it would look like a wedding gown, a white w- wedding gown, floral, nice pleated. It, it's it's just. You wouldn't regal. think it, regal. Thank you, Laura. I mean, as a black woman, it says she's 15, but in 1898, this is not the depiction that you would expect. I, I would, I would say, arguably. Yeah, and the crown of pearls, especially. So this was in 1898 that that photograph was taken, and she was about 15, maybe a mm-hmm. bit older. You know, it's kind of hard to say, uh, but she was the Salt Lake City Emancipation Day Queen. And Emancipation Day was has kind of morphed into Juneteenth, but at the time it was celebrated September 22nd um, as the anniversary of Lincoln's first Emancipation Proclamation. And so part of these Emancipation Days were put on by the black people of Salt Lake, and it was it was a fancy event with banquets there was a parade all through the city i mean and a big parade it wasn't just a few people they they rented pretty carriages that people would go uh would would ride in and do their waves to the people and one of the local newspapers said of the 1890 uh sorry was it the 1890 event Sorry, the 1892 event. That's the first time that it was held. Um, It was the first time that black people paraded the streets of Salt Lake. Now, Elnora was the queen of the 1898 Emancipation Day Parade. I may have misspoken that earlier. Uh, But as the the queen, um, she was the, the queen for the day. She was dressed in white silk and her crown adorned with pearls. So there was a banquet, uh, there were uh, games, and there was the the parade. And um, she also got to keep her dress because she wore it later in life um, at a a, a Masonic event where she was voted the most queenly dressed. Would I say (laughs) Queen Elizabeth, y'all? I'm calling it. I'm letting y'all know right now. Well, if... Um, Elnora on her throne with her headdress of pearls is not in the mural. I don't know who's uh, picking we things. <laughs> well, they, and the other thing about Elnora that I really enjoy is that she became a homeowner. Yeah, yes. that's yes. as as Our an history adult. is rich. Yeah. yeah, she so she and her mother rented a house near Richmond Park for decades, and it was only after her mother's death that she was able to finally purchase that same house. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the house she died in, and she left no heirs. Uh, she didn't have any children. She never married, and so it was sold at auction um, at her death. Mm-hmm. Now, see, this is where I really connect with Elnora, because in 1997 I purchased my house as a single woman, and everybody was, well, who's helping you do this? Someone Who, must. Have who's helped. giving oh, you the yeah, money exactly. for this? You know who's backing this and all of this the whole way right and i'm not understanding 
that at the time that there it was a big big deal in 1997 Ooh. for a single black woman to yeah. buy her own house. Elnora purchased her house in 1890. What uh, was it? Well, I think she, it was. She died something. in 19. She no no. I'm sorry. She purchased it in 1935. 1935. Yeah. So in 1935, you have a single black American woman mm. purchasing her own house in Utah. Yeah. You mentioned Richmond Park, and of course, that's where the mural's going to go, and it's named after Mignon Barker Richmond, and I think we should share some of her story because she's so important in Utah history. So, Alice, uh, kick off our story here about Mignon Barker Richmond. Oh, Mignon Barker Richmond is a remarkable woman. She was born in 1897, and she died in 1984, and I can't believe I just missed her from when I moved to Utah. Oh! So she was the first black American to graduate college in Utah. First black American period, not men or women, just the first one ever. You know, a side note, Alice, yes. on that, I read her oral history. Yeah. Um, a lot of her friends, which were white, mm -hmm. um, didn't like other people to know that she was black. And so they told their friends that she was a Pacific Islander. Because that was more acceptable. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that would, yeah, that was more acceptable. Yeah. So she graduated from um, Utah State Agricultural College, which we now know today. It's located in Logan, and we know it today as the Utah State University. And she graduated there in 1921. She paid her way through high school at West High School by working as a private housekeeper. Can you imagine that? having to work just to get through high school, and then you graduate high school and have to work to get through college, that just, that just blows mm -hmm. my mind. She's, she's remarkable. She established the first school lunch program for schools in Utah. Um, her whole focus as an adult was children. Um, Rachel, am I right? She never had children? She and Frank never had children, right? Um, I think Because that's what did. I'm remembering. Well, I'm not sure. Because yeah, I'm remembering that she and her husband, Frank, never had children, but she had thousands of children because every school she went to, all those children were hers everywhere. What the neighborhood where she lived, all the children were hers. Yep. I'm, I'm reading it. And it said she had she had no children with Frank and her second marriage with Thomas. He had a. Uh, he had his own child. And that's that's yeah. who but she, she wanted. Gave, but she had yeah, she never, she never gave, gave birth. birth. Yeah. It's Women's History Month, and we're talking women's history in Utah with our guests. We have Alice Birch with us of Semahadithi African American Heritage and Culture Foundation and volunteer researcher Rachel Quist. And you can follow Rachel's historical pursuits, SLC History, on Instagram. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually uh, Rachel's SLC History. There we go. We'll put a Love link in it. the show notes so you can get to the full link because she's always doing interesting things. In fact, the two of you were recently on Belonging in Utah with Channel 2 and Jamie McGriff uh, sharing some of these stories. Coming up in May, Rachel, you are doing a walking tour of parts of downtown. Can you tell us about that? Give us a little tease and we'll put that in the show notes too so people can sign up. Yeah, it's part of uh, the University of Utah's Lifelong Learning and uh, it will be a walking tour of what is now Edison Street, and then also we'll go to the neighborhood where Richmond Park is located. And it's kind of my kickoff to see what a walking tour of Salt Lake's black history might be, but there's going to be lots of stories. It'll be a leisurely walk. It'll be fun. And I believe, I just wanted to cover a bit of, of the ground in the piece on Channel 2 because Edison Street was Franklin Avenue, as I understand from what you shared, and an unusual story about how they cleared out that street. You want to share that? Yeah. So the the city um, in the in the 1890s and 1900s, really well until the the 1920s, uh, Franklin Avenue was the hub of black people in Salt Lake. Um, at I think the 1910 census showed a hundred percent of the residents there were black. Wow. And Edison Street, folks, just picture this in your head. It uh, runs north to south, and it's uh, between 
I, 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 the movie theater and the bar is how I think of it. <laughs> yeah. Between Second South and Third South. It's it's a half a block east from the Gallivant Center. There you go. There you go. So, so at uh, Franklin Avenue at the time had had fairly low rents. It was known for rundown houses. And so that attracted a number of black people there because, you know, if you're working as only a porter or a waiter, there's only so mm-hmm. thing, many things you can afford. Um, so the city decided in 1906 that it was going to uh, make policies that would encourage white business owners, so commercial spaces, to move into the black residential neighborhood for the purpose of dispersing the black people. It was a gentrification Gentrification, policy. huh? Yes, exactly. Like, ridiculous. Showing up. What year is this now, Rachel? This is 1906. So they rebranded um, Franklin Avenue to Edison Street. And um, as soon as the first commercial business that was white-owned moved in, that was Skelton Publishing, and that's in a building that's still standing, um, it's the old Franklin Avenue Theater. It's currently being rehabbed. Um, the city decided, oh, I guess we better pave the street. And then there were in, uh, better services provided, uh, like plumbing and mm-hmm. rents go up. Yeah, yep. rent, yep, gentrification at its finest. And so really by the 50s, it's it's a commercial street. Yeah. And uh, just one of the many stories that Rachel helps uncover, and you, the two of you are in that, that piece with Channel 2. We'll put a link there. But uh, I wanted to talk about one more story, Alice, that you sent me you were wanted to talk about. And I'm going to – it's guest choice. Who, who do you want to share with us before we're done? Oh. Yeah, that's hard. Um, you know what? Um, we focused on – uh, we focused on Lizzie when we did the Capitol event with the children, Elizabeth Austin Taylor, and um, I don't. I, there was just something about her that that just uh, that just got to my heart. Um, I I hope I get to meet all these women one day. Um, she was born in 1874, and she died in 1932. Um, she was the president of the Western Federation of Colored Women. She started that organization here in Utah. She ran the newspaper Western Women's Advocate. And with her husband, she ran the Utah Plain Dealer newspaper, her husband William. And after William's death, she took over that newspaper and she she ran it by herself. Um, Elizabeth was um, of the order of Queen Esther. in the uh, the women's part of the Masons, mm-hmm. um, uh, she helped to organize and found um, AME Trinity Church as well as uh, Calvary Baptist Church. Wow! She she just did so much, you know. And then I, I have one question too, against the backdrop of what's happening in Washington D.C. this week, Uh-oh. with the uh, Senate confirmation hearings of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, and we have these stories that we're trying to to surface in mm-hmm. essence here in our own community. Yeah. Um, do, do, can you draw any conclusions, lines, or dots from there to here, and where we need to go in our relationships? as a community. Alice. You know, this is what I look at is when did slavery end? When did that end, right? Why are we not farther than what we are today? Yeah, I mean, that's a great look question. how look how many years it's been. Why are we not farther? We are seriously still fighting for equal pay for people? What? That doesn't even sound right. You know when you think about that. And we're seriously still arguing about in the workplace when a black American is promoted or is offered a promotion like Judge Katanji is getting, right? Well, what exactly are her, are her skills and, and what are her, um, her qualifications? Well, she's very well qualified, but what do they focus on? Well, what was her, what is that test called? LSAT. Yeah, what is her LSAT score? I'm like, what? Are you serious? <laughs> 
I mean, the things that get focused on, it's, it's really sad. Yeah. So the conclusion that I draw is, people, we should be farther than where we are. Mm. You know, we, we just should be farther than where we are. Why are we not? Are, we're holding ourselves back. You know, do we not want to live in a society and in a, in a state, let's just focus on Utah, in a state where, you know, there is this, this great positive energy and all this wonderful stuff that we accept that everybody can do, yeah. right? That we are lifting everybody and pushing everything forward. We're, we're afraid of how far we can go. Yeah. Is that what we're afraid of? That as a people united, we're afraid of how far we can go. So we fight to stay, uh, to, to stay disunited. We fight to stay um, separated from one another. We fight to stay so that there's some community always under our feet, kept pressed down. That's really what we want. I'll tell you what, with the, with the work that you're doing, with the work that Rachel's doing, I, I really hope that we're on the path of of change because you know what what you just described you're you're spot on it's it's baffling to know that we have this rich history of not just not just black people but of black women just being powerhouses and you and you want to you want to embrace that you want to uplift it you want to share it you want to scream from the top of the mountains and let the world no let you know let the world know how far utah has come like you know because that is that is huge. Eight. What, what did we say? 1835, she bought a house? 1935, Nin- 1935 Elnora, Elnora, bought Elnora bought a house. Yeah. That's, I mean, you, you just expect so much more yeah. when, when you have over 100 years of that history, and, yeah. and you want to build on it, mm-hmm. not bury it. Well, yeah. Sam Hadithi is working on it, and folks, they are always looking for volunteers. Rachel Quist is a volunteer researcher, and... They need help, and they're a nonprofit. Always can use more hands to do the work. What's the website, Alice, so people can check it out? www.samahadithi.org. S-E-M-A-H-A-D-I-T-H-I.org. We'll put a link in the show notes. And Rachel, help can folks find your uh, Instagram? Uh, I'm, at, I'm on Instagram at Rachel's underscore SLC underscore history. Um, and then I also have a website that has everything as well. That's slchistory.org. We'll put those in the show notes. And don't forget, walking tour coming up in May where you can learn more tidbits about. Uh, and Laura, don't yeah. forget that also in June, as part of the Juneteenth events, we will be um, doing a memorial service for the two men who were lynched in Utah County mm. as part of the EJI project. That's Equal Justice Initiative, started by Brian Stevenson, and we will be putting the soil from both of those places into jars and sending them, that's right, to Alabama as mm. part of the museum, and our men will be forever remembered. Yes. We need you back yes, to talk we about do. that project yes, as we well. Do. So we expect Alice and Robert Birch back soon. When we come back, we're going to be talking about congressional voting districts. And I asked our next guest what they want to hear, and I, I suggested this song. I, you know, I, I kind of push-pulled them this way. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's this a clash. A KRCL!
As many as two million people have been displaced in Ukraine. The Utah Ukrainian Association has a list of ways you can help. Find them on Facebook under the handle Love Ukrainians or the Connect page of krcl.org. This is Al Dine, the punk rock farmer from Radioactive on KRCL. We're a station that's been homegrown and heartfelt since 1979. Spring Radiothon is just around the corner, a time when we ask for your support to keep going another six months. We've got some cool t-shirts to say thank you when you donate. And you can do that online right now at krcl.org. Thank you for your support of Listener's Community Radio of Utah. Yes, thank you indeed. That's coming up starting on Earth Day, April 22nd, Rashawn. At 7 o'clock, it's Democracy Now! And on the show, Katanji Brown-Jackson vows to uphold equal justice under law at historic SCOTUS confirmation hearings. We're going to be talking about that on the show on Thursday night here on Radioactive. Rashawn, you might have to come back. I can't wait to listen to it. It's (laughs) All right. Before I know we we have other guests, but it it, it just... (laughs) pisses me off to hear the questions that are asked now that were not asked what's your, what's your religion yeah like do you, how often do you go to church because that that you know what happened to church and state separated but you know there's new here and there i guess <sighs> all right okay well okay we're gonna take our soapbox and we're gonna put it aside because i need it on thursday night Rashawn. <laughs> just so you know but uh eight o'clock vagabond radio with barbie connor's late night lowdown starts at 10 30 super sounds of chovy at one all our programming online at krcl.org and by that i mean the last two weeks of any show you can listen on demand just click the programs tab Rashawn, let's talk uh constitutional voting districts lawsuit the people's gerrymandering oh. the people's house the people's business let's we introduce ourselves. all right we have the Catherine weller the league of women voters of utah laura lewis i.e mormon women for ethical government and David Ryman, attorney for the plaintiffs. Hello, you three. Welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. Hi Thank you. All right. So we need to explain the basics of this lawsuit because I've been reading a lot of stuff, Rashawn. And this is just about the congressional voting districts. This is about chopping up Salt Lake County six ways to Sunday. Excuse me, four ways to Sunday. There's four <laughs> districts. So I wish it was six ways. <laughs> David Ryman, can you explain the strategy of the lawsuit and why just this not school board and Utah state and uh, Senate and House districts and all that jazz. Sure. I mean, there are a lot of reasons for that, but we we wanted to focus on what we thought was the most egregious, the most egregious gerrymander that the legislature had put into place, which was the congressional districts that we believe they have structured in a way that will make it um, impossible for any um, anyone that's not a Republican to win for the next decade. Well, Governor Cox came out and said he feels they were legally redistricted, that 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 authority lies in the legislature, no matter what the people said with Prop 4. Yeah, actually what he said was, okay, it's a gerrymander. It's just not an illegal one. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And that is... That's an oxymoron. (laughs) That is telling. I mean, it it is telling in that it's an acknowledgement that the legislature can't do whatever they want with no limits, which is what we expect them to argue in the case. I want to ask if anybody was disappointed that he just didn't um, veto it as a as a sign, like he's doing with the HB 11 mm-hmm. on the commission, sports commission related transgender youth athletics. Um, because Indiana's governor just did that. I I'm, I'm Googling that yeah, as that? we speak, okay. Laura, because it's yeah. you have a state that arguably is is pretty red as well and and the governor throws it out and says this is this is partisan, this is partisan. Like, do better wh- why wh- <laughs> i mean why can't we have that so so okay david let me uh, oh yeah you want to answer catherine, why can't we come on. catherine why why can't we do better catherine Get in there. we can do better the the answer is we can and the league of women voters believes that all voters regardless of where their zip codes are deserve to have a voice in the policy that is formulated in the next 10 years the voters need to be able to meaningfully interact in elections and interact with their elected officials so we can do better why that wasn't vetoed i can't speak to what the what the governor did at that moment um the league certainly wishes he would have vetoed that bill, but he didn't, so that's why we're here today. All right, let's get Mormon. Sorry, I'm trying to maximize the, the mic sounds here. Let's get Mormon Women for Ethical Government in here. Uh, why did MWEG, Laura Lewis AE, decide to become part of this lawsuit? Can you speak to that? Just pull that on over to yourself and let's hear. 
Yeah, so voting rights is one of the five key areas of focus of our advocacy work. And um, one of our principles of ethical government is that um, democratic institutions and electoral systems should maximize participation of and um, ensure equitable access to all citizens of a society. And so um, as as women of faith, our, our, our tenets of our faith um, encourage us to hold our elected representatives accountable and to um, ensure transparency and accountability in our government. Our um, membership of women who that's made up of uh, Republicans, Democrats, unaffiliated, United Utah Party. I mean, our membership is very broad in political ideology. We are a nonpartisan organization, but this issue is extremely important to our membership. So we had members who were going out and gathering signatures for Proposition 4, um, supporting the commission, providing comments, testifying before the state legislature, um, you know, all of the work in the last several years leading up to this. And so this was just the next logical step um, in the process to um, ensuring that voters are um, choosing their elected officials and not the other way around. So when this is all said and done, what does success look like? What does winning look like? David. Um, what we have asked the court to do is to strike down the legislature's, what we believe is an illegal partisan gerrymander is unconstitutional in violation of the Utah Constitution. We have asked the court to order the drawing of fair maps. That doesn't necessarily mean exactly what the Independent Redistricting Commission did, but it, it could be something along those lines. And we have asked the court to reinstate the Independent Redistricting Commission that Utah voters enacted in Prop 4, which would ensure that what the legislature has done here doesn't happen again. It will help get politics out of redistricting, which is what the Utah voters wanted overwhelmingly and what the Utah legislature discarded. So we have essentially asked the court to vindicate what the people of Utah um, wanted for this state and not what the legislature tried to, to put into place to serve their own self-interest. You got primaries. Primaries coming up in June. I think there's conventions coming as soon as, is it this weekend? At least later this month and uh, for both parties. So are you hoping that this happens before is that even possible given timelines and courts? It's not possible, and it's tragic that the compressed way in which the Utah legislature undertook this process has made that not possible to draw you know, fair maps before that happens. But we have tried um, to take the long view in this case and say this is a decade-long problem that the legislature has um, unleashed on uh, the voters of Utah. And we feel like the longer we have to present the evidence to the court, the more vindicated we will be. And so we've chosen what we think is a deliberative process to try and fix this before the next election cycle in 2024. All right. We're talking about congressional voting districts in a lawsuit announced last week by some of our guests in studio with us tonight. You just heard from David Ryman, who's the attorney for the plaintiffs. We also have Catherine Weller, League of Women Voters, and from Mormon Women for Ethical Government, Laura Lewis A.E. But there's more people who signed on to this, correct, Catherine? Yeah, that's correct. There are several individual plaintiffs. There are plaintiffs in each of the congressional districts that are in Salt Lake County who feel individually impacted by this gerrymander. And they have interesting and wonderful stories to ha tell. And I'm hoping that you'll be able to talk with them sometime, in fact, because they've got some big stories. I, I would love that, Catherine. <laughs> Thank you for that suggestion. <laughs> One of the things that's really interesting is this a notion that, okay, fine. If we're going to have a one-party state, everybody register as a Republican. And that's freaking out Republicans. But I remember the days when it was everybody registers Democrats. we got to break the Democrat stranglehold. This is a pendulum that swings back and forth, but it's been stuck, stuck on the right side in the red column for a number of decades because you have control of the redistricting process, the party mm. in power. And power doesn't give up power, right, No, Michelle? no, no. They hold it. They hold yeah. it tooth and nail until, until someone has to take it. Yeah. So what is it that you want the public to understand or get involved with at this point, Catherine or Laura, in terms of this, this fight? Um, what, what can the individual do at their, isn't there a caucus meeting tonight for the Dems? Well, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm actually an unaffiliated voter. I, I don't know about party politics. What I know is that this case is about representing voters. It's about representing all voters. It's not about one party or the other. 
So that's what people need to know. This is about fair representation of all of the citizens of Salt Lake County, regardless of their affiliation. We all deserve to have a say. What one can do to get involved with a legal case at this point, what you can do is contribute to the expenses for the legal case. Um, the Mormon Women for Ethical Government site ha has a link for legal funds, as does the League of Women Voters. We, we um, are, you know, we are taking advantage of some very generous pro bono services and what they refer to as low bono services. Low bono. I, I like it. David. <laughs> so so for all for our listeners who don't know, what is what is wrong with the map? What like what is what do we feel is problematic with the map that is causing us to feel like we need to take suit to the state? Uh, sure. And uh, you know, just in in very basic terms, it takes um, a very highly democratic concentration of voters in Salt Lake, and it does what um, people who examine these issues call crack it. It divides it into um, four different districts, and so you have people who are living on the same street, you know, who, whose neighbors across the street are voting with voters in Logan, and they are voting with voters in St. George, and it, it splits it into four, four different um, districts so that to ensure that each of the four districts is overwhelmingly Republican, and not just Republican as far as Salt Lake goes, with, um, w which has a lot of moderate Republican voters, but Repub overwhelmingly majority Republican um, for uh, voters that are in, in portions of the state that are not um, electing moderate Republicans. So, so, so what's your argument? Because I remember the, the math argument that was floating around a couple years ago to show that this was being gerrymandered, and then some of the pushback being, well, math's, you know, whatever. So what's, what's the strategy here in court? Yeah, it's not a math problem. The problem is that um, the, the fundamental promise of elections and the equal right to vote is that everyone's vote needs to have substantially equal power. Mm -hmm. And if you have lived in Utah for any period of time, you know that certain people feel like their vote is pointless. Um, because it likely is, um, because of the way districts are, are, um, are set up. We didn't have that um, the last 10 years because we had one district that was relatively competitive. We will not have that for the next 10 years. And our Constitution uh, guarantees more than that. It guarantees that people have a fair and meaningful opportunity to participate in elections. And if there's no limit on the way that you draw districts, um, that you can disenfranchise people by not saying you can't vote, but when you do, your vote is meaningless, that violates um, the guarantees of our Constitution. And, and that was really going to be my question. You, you walked right into it. It's, we already have a problem in Utah with disenfranchised voters, so this is not going to help that. This is going to create even more disenfranchisement. Th this makes it materially worse. This is, from what we can tell, the worst um, uh, redistricting that the legislature has undertaken. We are finding it hard to find a way that they could have drawn maps that are more partisan than they did. And so really the question comes down to this. Is there any limit on what the legislature can do in choosing their voters instead of the other way around? And so this lawsuit is about saying there are limits to what the legislature can do. It is not free reign. It is not a purely partisan exercise. The Constitution uh, guarantees more than that, and we're trying to hold them to those uh, those provisions. This is why it matters that you register to vote and you vote, Absolutely. Um, and by the way, I believe if you do want to choose a party, and specifically Republican, because uh, those primaries are only open to people who are registered Republicans, you got to do it by the 31st, and then you cannot change that affiliation uh, for a year. If you want to, st <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's I, so I, ridiculous. I'm trying to even parse in my brain the law because they're so worried about people becoming rhinos, <laughs> registering as Republicans and infiltrating the caucus system. It's like, wait a minute, that's just the rules, right? I, I mean, don't affiliate. I can be a. We can play the game. Compassionate Republican. I can be a fiscal conservative and a social progressive. That fits. Right? I, I love it. I love it. So, so the question also is: so, what was the point? Was was it just a sham to get the independent board to come in and, and and design a map of what they wanted to present, knowing that they weren't going to... I, 
and this is me, obviously, knowing that they weren't going to use it, knowing that they already had sure their own feels agenda. Like that, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, it does. Catherine, do you think, think that was bad faith, or they don't see themselves as beholden, obviously, to the people and a vote at the at the, the polls? I do not have access to the minds of the legislators <laughs> in the state. What I do have access to is voters, and what I heard, and I'm sure what the MWIG people heard when they were gathering signatures for the petition for the Independent Redistricting Commission was, it's not going to matter. They're going to do what they want anyway. And you know, that's the same thing I've heard over and over again when I've tried to register people to vote, is my vote doesn't matter, my voice doesn't matter. And that is what I do know about this case. Mm -hmm. What I do know is that People in Salt Lake County, citizens of Utah, think what they do doesn't matter with the politicians. The redistricting committee, that's the legislature, um, did what they did. And we disagree. We need to make that independent redistricting commission more than window dressing so that Utah can have the fair maps to which it's entitled. I mean, don't you agree with that, Laura? Yeah, absolutely. I um I'm so proud of Utahns for voting for the commission. And I think regardless of the way that the um, the legislature responded, that we showed, the commission showed um, transparency in the process. There was, every meeting was recorded. It was completely bar- bipartisan. There were, they upheld, you know, every standard of transparency and accountability that you could ask for and that's what the people wanted all right devil's advocate coming in here for landing and that is that the utah constitution allots uh, appropriates ascribes the 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 power to redraw districts to the utah legislature so we can say with all sincerity that we had this vote that the people who showed up at the polls they said we want an independent commission let them draw the maps still is this going to take a, con- uh, a constitutional amendment for the state of Utah, Mr. Attorney? Uh, no, we've already got those provisions in the Constitution. So saying that's the argument we expect to hear, um, I don't think it's very persuasive. Um, or I, wasn't does it... persuad- I wasn't persuasive. I like how you drop it, though. I'll give you an analogy. The, the Constitution also allocates to the legislature the power to pass laws. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that they can pass laws that are unconstitutional. Yeah. Otherwise, those provisions in the Constitution don't mean anything. Yep. And what they are essentially arguing in this situation is this is some type of unique situation where we can do whatever we want and it is particularly corrosive to say to single this out and say this is the situation where we can do whatever we want because they are manipulating the very mechanism that holds them accountable and that's the ballot box and because they have been doing it for so long there is no threat from the public Mm-mm. that's right i mean they they by manipulating what happens in elections they are able to say you can't hold us accountable for what it is that we do and so in some ways and you the, elected us yeah you wanted this you asked for this in some ways saying that this is somehow out of bounds is even worse than any other type of law but if you ask any citizen in utah and to think about this for even you know five seconds and say the legislature can do something and the courts can't review it even if it violates the Constitution. No one would agree with that, but that's actually the argument that they're making. Watch this space. We will follow this. When's your next court date on this? What's what's the, can you give us some of that? Uh, we filed the complaint. We expect a response in the next uh, six uh, to seven weeks, and it's going to be a long process. We've, um, we've strapped in for a long process, and, and we hope that we get a hearing in the, in the court that will allow us to present the evidence of what the legislature's done and why it's not proper. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for coming in and joining the Roundtable Tuesday discussion. David Ryman, attorney for the plaintiffs, and two of the plaintiffs here tonight, uh, Mormon Women for Ethical Government, represented by Laura lewis Ae, and from the League of Women Voters of Utah, Catherine Weller. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you very much, Laura. Thank you so much for coming in, you three. That's our show. we got to wrap up and get to democracy now. But any closing thoughts here, Rashawn? I'm just fired up, Laura. It's just, you, you know what it is, is I, I just hate to see people abuse their power. You know, it, what, what does Uncle Ben say? With great power comes great responsibility. I mean, this is, this is a time. Where are you, Uncle Ben? We need you. Where are you, Spider-Man? <laughs> but seriously, all said and done, it's just, you know, we, I, I just, I just, I have problems with people having problems being held accountable. Yeah. 
That's our show, folks. Thank you so much. Questions, comments, suggestions, email radioactive at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones. I'm Rashawn Leak. Take care, y'all. Stay invested, stay involved, stay aware. KRCL, Salt Lake City.